This podcast contains real talk about the mayhem of motherhood, along with a weekly medical mystery. Because all of these topics can be pretty graphic, and because we use explicit language, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Motherhood, Mayhem, and Medical Mysteries podcast. On this show, we are not attempting to solve the major medical mysteries of the world or tell you how to raise your kids. We are definitely not doctors or scientists of any kind. We are just two moms here to provide you with support, resources, and maybe a few laughs along the way. We do a lot of research and will definitely share the things we learn, but please talk to a professional if you have specific concerns about your experiences. Here's Miranda. She just returned south from Niagara Falls. And that's Melanie. She is the best dancer in the lawn chair. So while I was off in Buffalo, shuffling around in Buffalo, checking out Niagara Falls, what were you up to all week? I was literally having the most normal week ever. Nothing really interesting happened. I went to the dentist. I mean, that it was fine. They didn't have to do anything. So that's always know, good. That's okay. always good. You don't want the dentist to, have um, to do anything. I worked. I I taxied my kid around to all the places, like like all of the normal stuff. Yeah. But I did want to ask you if you remembered <clears throat> while I was at the dentist, I was thinking about how dental care has changed so much over the years. And I and I don't know what your dentist was like when you were growing up. But when I was growing up, my entire family went to the same dentist. We all had the same dentist. Yeah, it was like that too. And there I was, was a kid. no it was like a like, family dentist, and the whole family went sometimes on the same right. day. Yeah, there was no like pediatric dentist. I don't, I don't ever remember that. No, no, I don't well, think that was a thing. <laughs> I don't think it was either. Well, these days, and I don't know if it's the area where I grew up or if it just wasn't a thing then, but these days there are these pediatric dental practices all over the place. Yeah. Um, did you ever, did you take Fisher to one or? No, how- no. We, we looked at it and I tried to call and they couldn't get him in. So we just took him to the regular old family dentist. Okay. So I haven't okay. so I haven't well, been to one of those newfangled places yet. Well, I'm about to tell you the story of how we ended up taking Jonah to our dentist and we have a family dentist now too. So here's the thing. I don't ever remember going to the dentist until I was like probably at least eight or nine. I mean, oh, yeah. you don't even have all your teeth, right, right, you know? Yeah. But these like, days there seems to be... <laughs> Yeah, right. There there seems to be all this pressure to like take your child to the pediatric dentist when they're like a toddler. You know, which to me that's so true and you're so right. Like I don't remember that ever being a thing until just recently and now it's like, "Oh, your child's 2 years old. They need their dental checkup." And it's like they have, you know, like eight teeth. What am I doing here? Yeah. So weird. Well, I remember thinking that too and I, and I cannot remember the specifics of when exactly this occurred, but he was a little guy. Mm-hmm. 
Maybe three. We had just had his like annual checkup, you know, how you do at the pediatrician, like the well visit thing. And it had been asked again. So it was like the second time that we had been asked if we had had him to the dentist yet. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, like, I guess we better make this appointment. Yeah, like I I felt pressured. Yeah. Okay. So then I did what I always do, and I asked all of my coworkers where they took their children. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> for anything, mm-hmm. literally. Like, well, where do you go? Who's, kind who's of your guy? Who's your guy for this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we end we ended up at this place, and like you said, I called to make the appointment, and they didn't have anything available for like it was months, I want to say. Which is crazy because they're only serving like a subset of the population. So why does it take so long to get into those places? I don't, I don't know, understand. But so the day comes around and at that time we were still being cute about all of the things. So like my husband and I were both with Jonah. We were going to take him oh, yeah. to the dentist. Because it's a first. We made like a, yeah. Yeah, like a, first, like a first dentist. Yeah. Thing. First haircut, right. first dentist, first yeah, right. brunch, whatever. First all, the, all things. the things. Like we got over it fairly quickly. <laughs> it doesn't take long. We did, <laughs> we did do all the firsts. So we're sitting there and we were in the waiting room for, I'm not even kidding, an hour. Oh my gosh. Oh my now gosh. Granted, With a baby. Well, I mean, he, I think he was about three. I don't, I won't swear. How to do it. you keep a three year old occupied in a waiting room for granted, an hour? It was a pediatric dentist. So they had like this whole room that had like, you know, toys and TV screens and all of this stuff in it. But he was not here for it that day. He was just not here (laughs) for it. And you know how that is Uh when your kids are just not here for it. Well, so we're trying to be positive. My husband and I are both, you know, but waiting for anything for an hour is excessive. Like that's a crazy amount of time to be waiting. Agreed. So... You know, I go back up to the counter and say, hey, you know, our appointment was 40 minutes ago. Mm. Oh, well, we'll get you right back. Okay. Well, Miranda, let me let me tell you what the scene was when they took us back. Okay. For whatever reason, and I don't understand the logic behind this, they had all of the dentist chairs in the same gigantic room. So it's this giant room Hmm. with like five dental chairs, like five dental stations, but it's wide open. There's no like like wall or barrier. There's there's nothing to block all of this off like a normal dentist office. They're just out there like like the hair salon. They're just lined up like it's a barbershop. 100%. It's the barbershop of dental offices wow now there's flat screen tvs in the ceiling well that's nice but yeah but i mean obviously this was before covid because i think jonah was like three yeah so seeing a room full of dental hygienists and masks and kids laying in chairs oh gosh yeah with their mouths open and people sticking stuff in their mouth well and like especially in that kind of a setting like that is such a great point because now 
you've you've exposed him to what's about to happen this looks like a room where kids come to be tortured why would he want to have any part of that right a thousand percent it looks like these children are being tortured they're all laying in chairs staring at the ceiling like obviously wow. none of them can give you a look that is going to be comforting right. to like you hey i'm they good have people in their mouths <laughs> like, right. you know right and there's oh all goodness. these women on swivelly stools with masks on mm. And like gadgets and sucky gizmos and stuff in their mouths. Right. He was like, uh uh-uh, uh, <laughs> not doing it. Literally not doing oh, it. Oh my goodness. And he was always a pretty good kid yeah, yeah. about stuff like that. But he was just, he took one look at it. He's like, well, I'm here. I saw it. I am not doing that. Wow. And like, he put his little feet down <laughs> and he refused. So we're sitting there, you know, we've waited for an hour yeah. for this. Yeah. And we're like, well, what are we going to do? Yeah. Like, I, I don't even know what to do. Yeah. And so the God bless the hygienist that works in that office. She tries to do this like coaxing thing, like, come on over and you can check out this stuff. And he's just like, no, he's not falling no, for man. that shit. I'm, I'm, he's I'm, not falling no. for that. <laughs> not at all. He was not oh, having it. No. So then she says okay and we like try to take him like pick him up my husband picks him up and walks him over there and he did this like really sad which this is one of the only times that i can remember him doing this he was just like no dada no dada no 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 dada and my husband is like his heart's breaking he's like okay we're not doing this he says to the lady he's like no this isn't gonna work do you have any other rooms So then they take us and put us in like some weird room, which I think was actually supposed to be the x-ray room, because apparently most children are okay with this situation, which I still don't I don't get that at all. I don't get that at all. So we go in there and they like the person comes in and they're like, let us look in your mouth. And he was just like locked, locked jaw. He's done. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) They bri- tried to bribe him with a treasure chest. You know how these places, oh, yeah, there's the always the treasure chest. Place and the child dentists, they, they have uh-huh. these treasure chests. He didn't even want anything out of the treasure chest. Wow. He was like, no. He already did not, his little cost benefit analysis and he was like, nothing is worth He's like, this. I, nothing is worth I'm this. I'm done with this place. I'm out of here. Wow. So we ended up giving up on the whole thing. They're like, call us to reschedule and we got him in the car and left and my husband and I were both like I don't ever want to go back there Mm -hmm. it just wasn't great so was that when you made the decision to just take him to the family dentist instead of that crazy place I think that we made an executive decision that we were waiting like a few months and then he was going to come to just the dentist that we go to, which you go into an individual room. I actually didn't end up going on that dental visit, but my husband went with him and he said he was totally fine. Like as long as there were walls Mm. and there weren't like a room full, which is weird. Yeah. Like it had like alien abduction vibes. Sure. Sure. It did. Sure. It did. And it's terrible psychology, right? For a kid to walk in and see this room full of people. I'll, this is like the, the reverse of that. So when we were in Disney world, Fisher really wanted to ride the, there's a, a little, 
little roller coaster there called the Barnstormer. It was like Goofy's little roller coaster. But it's like kind of it's kind of thrilling if you're a kid. And what they did, and it's so brilliant, and Mayhem Mamas, if you're at Disney World, you'll have to check this out. The line for the ride is on the complete back side of it, and there's a huge wall of shrubbery where you cannot see the ride. So you do not know what you're what's about to happen. And there's this like once you kind of walk in and you sit down and you're on it, you're just on it and you don't know, right? It's kind of the same thing like when you go to the dentist and you go into your own little room and you don't see any of these, these other people and it's just like, oh, just lay down and here's this cool TV. You don't see all of these other things. So you don't right. realize that it's like, you know, kind of a threatening environment because they've put a barrier there. <laughs> you know, they need to take a lesson Which, from Disney World is what they need to do. Get a wall of well, shrubs I mean, between these chairs. <laughs> between each individual chair, there needs to be a wall of shrubs. A wall of shrubs. real, though, like... I just I thought it was funny and I feel like it was kind of one of these moments in um, our child's growing up that we were like, oh, well, he is just not going to do things <laughs> if he doesn't want to do them. And uh, he's gotten older and you can like chat with him about stuff and like kind of prepare him for stuff. Sure. But uh, that is still... <laughs> Remains true. I was going to say, how's how's that going for you over there? I mean, now uh, he will very eloquently explain to you why he's not doing oh it. But goodness. when he was three, he was just like, no, no, Dada, no, no. <laughs> See, Melanie is married to a Leo and her child is a Leo. So this is just the, the, the row she hoes. It really is. Okay, Miranda. So enough about the pediatric dentist. What are you going to talk to us about when it comes to parenting today? We are going to take another dive into the next stage of development. So all Piaget. Piaget. We're on a whole streak here with my man. So two weeks ago, we talked about the sensory motor stage, which is birth to age two. And then last week, we learned more about the preoperational stage, which is ages two to seven. So much fun. And tonight we're going to look at the next stage, which is the concrete operational stage. And that is from age seven to 11. Seven to 11. Okay. Yeah. Don't, don't do you it. know somebody who's kind of in that range? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody yeah. who's kind of in that range, but going on like he's, 47. He's in He's in the next room and likely to be very loud at any minute. Maybe. Because there's two of them over oh, there gosh. that are in this age range right now. Oh, snap. We're going to get a shout out. <laughs> so I think you're going to like this stage a lot because this is really where kids begin to organize and rationalize their thinking, which I know is your favorite thing ever. I do love rational thinking. <laughs> it's basically your favorite thing. So um, in the pre-operational stage, kids haven't quite mastered the concepts of conservation and perspective taking. That's the stage before this one. Uh, they also right. tend to be more egocentric in their thinking. And just to recap, because last week we, we recorded about this and I went and did some of the tests that I mentioned in the episode. Oh, yeah, sure. that's right. You said you were going to do the test. <laughs> yes, it was so fun. And we did the conservation test and the one with the water in the glass, you know, and we also yeah. did the one where you 
line up the little paper clips. And I have to tell you, he thought the skinny glass had more water in it, even though... Just like you said he would. Just like Piaget said. And he even watched me measure it and pour it in. And he still said that one has more water. It was so funny. And then I did the paperclip one, and he thought the longer line of paperclips had more, even though he knows how to count. Like, I did a line of of seven paperclips that were really scrunched together, and then a line of five that were, like, spread out. And he points to the line of five. He's like, yeah, that one has more. And it's like, no. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Yes. So just as much fun as I had doing those experiments, I'll give you some experiments to do with Jonah later on. (laughs) You You can do the test. All right. So at this point, again, 7 to 11, kids really have a great understanding of language and they can begin to apply it logically or concretely to their everyday lives, but they're not quite able to formulate abstract conclusions or see the gray areas in different things just yet. So like white lies are really hard for them. They don't understand the concept of like a white lie. Like if lying is bad, why would I tell a lie that makes somebody feel good? And the the other one I thought about that I currently am experiencing is Fisher can read the speed limit sign. And if he sees me going over the speed limit, he tells me I have to slow down because I'm breaking the law. <laughs> and he understands speedings against the law. So he like can't understand the fact oh, that his wow. mom is driving over the speed limit, even though it's against the law. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that it's that stage. So the areas that kids have mastered in the pre-operational stage, conservation, you'll remember that's like if you break a candy bar up into smaller pieces, it's still the same amount as when it was whole. Decentration, which is perspective taking and reversibility. And really in this stage, the concrete operational stage, reversibility is really enhanced and kind of becomes the foundation for this logical thinking. Um, So reversibility is like something can be returned to another state if it's manipulated the right way. So like a ball of Play-Doh can be turned into a line of Play-Doh and then it can be turned back into a ball again and then it can be something else. else. But that's kind of easy to understand. But where it comes in handy with this stage is like think about math and like numerical operations. A child begins to understand that five plus three equals eight. So they also understand that eight minus three takes it back to five. Like it's that kind of logical thinking. Okay, so you can go all the way with it. Yes, it's that same principle and it's applied in all these different things. And that's really where kids start to experiment with it because they take what they know about this logical reasoning and they start to apply it in these different areas so they can learn more. And that's what really leads to the next stage. But while they can solve these problems logically, Like I mentioned at the beginning, they tend to struggle with abstract or hypothetical thinking. They really can only apply these things to tangible objects, tangible events, things that have happened to them that are, you know, right in their their world or their understanding. So Piaget said children in the concrete operational stage really can begin to use what's called inductive logic or inductive reasoning. So this means going from a specific experience to a general principle. So for example, Fisher did this to me today on the on the drive. You know, kids ask these wild questions out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And he's quiet, we're driving, and all of a sudden he goes, Mama, can anybody in the world ask questions except people in the US Army? What? 
that was my reaction. I was like, what? And I'm like, what? what is he going from here? And so basically, he's taken a specific example, because I think he saw this in like a movie or a show or something where it's like a soldier and their captain says, don't ask questions, son, just follow my orders or something like that. And now okay. he's applied this to think everybody in the army can't ask questions ever. He's made a specific experience a general principle, and he's trying to test and see if that's true. That's that is so interesting, isn't it? So crazy. But when you think about it, you know, this is what's going on. Like kids will experience something, and then that becomes like a rule for them moving forward. It, it goes from the specific to the general. It's like that's all you need to know. Done. Exactly. Army. Army, no questions. <laughs> and then it's like, well, I don't want to be in the army because I want to be able to ask questions. And it's like, well, that's kind of a silly reason to not be in the army. And we're going... But I mean, like, <laughs> he's not wrong. He really... <laughs> can't ask questions. I mean, well, and I kind of told him, I'm like, you know, well, if you're in the army, you have to follow orders. And sometimes you can ask questions. And, you know, I think you would get the help that. You oh, so the follow up question. This is funny. Uh, so he's like, but what if you were given an order to do a backflip on a ball and you couldn't do that, but you're not allowed to ask a question about how to what? do it? <laughs> Like, I where have do they no come idea. up with this stuff? Wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yes, that's inductive logic. Kids begin to use that, and that's where they really start to understand their world is with this inductive logic, again, from, from wow. specific to general. A specific experience defines a general principle. The other one we're dealing with right now is, is protein, because I happened to mention to Fisher one day that protein is what builds muscles. So now he's like, he has to look at like all of the nutrition facts and see how much protein is in something. And if there's not enough protein, he's like, well, I don't want this because I want more muscles. So I have to get, and we have to back this whole thing up and talk about balance and how all the things we need help us, you know, to live, basically. Wow. It's crazy. Okay. That's complicated. Very complicated. So again, that's inductive logic. Kids at this age have difficulty using the opposite of that, which is deductive logic. And that's taking a general principle to determine a specific event. So they can go from, from specific to general, but not general to specific. That's really where things get more abstract, right? And they haven't gotten there yet. Right. Okay. All right. So the concrete operational stage also, I mentioned, decreases in egocentrism. They are beginning to understand that other people have their own thoughts, ideas, perceptions of reality. And what can come along with that, again, between the ages of seven and 11, are feelings of self-consciousness because um, they know other people have their own thoughts and they can concern themselves too much with what other people are thinking if they're not careful. So um, they may struggle to guess how others are really feeling because they could, again, be using that same inductive reasoning to make that determination. Right. So some other areas that kids struggle with in the concrete operational stage, again, think about this with Jonah, abstract thinking and abstract concepts. They tend to do better with things that are more concrete, more literal, and metaphors can be kind of challenging. Hypothetical situations can be kind of challenging. And they may ask a lot of questions about those things, and that's because they're trying to learn and, and begin to understand what that means. I will say that I just kind of like, I didn't even know I was doing an experiment but I had a whole conversation with Jonah the other day about a hypothetical situation.
conversation Mm -hmm. and he did not understand what I was saying at all. Really? Like, and he says, he's like, you're right. I don't understand what you mean. (laughs) And I'm like, well, what if, you know, I mean, it was complicated. It had something to do with uh, this class at school and he's had a hard time with one class. And I'm like, well, what if yada, 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 there were a lot of steps to it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I don't, I don't know what you mean. Mm, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it kind of surprised me though, because he's a kid that typically understands almost everything. And once I got into it, I'm like, let me just keep going and make this super complicated. And then he's like, he's like, yeah, I don't whoa, know. you lost me there. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> and and it's not to say that like, you know, they don't have an imagination. That's the complete opposite. It's, it's more about these hypothetical situations. And again, kind of gray area thinking. Um, and, right. and what would happen. And that was very much what I was talking about. I was very gray area type. Gotcha. You know, not imagine. He has a huge imagination. Right, right. But this was like hypothetically and like all gray area related. <laughs> yeah. And he did not follow at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's interesting. That's there you go. There's the test. Um, another area they may struggle is called systematic problem solving. So this is planning out all of the steps in a problem and executing them in the most efficient order. So they may it may take them a couple of tries to do something the most efficiently like those little maps or those little games where it's like try to solve this puzzle with the least amount of moves they're not there yet if they can solve the puzzle that's really good but understanding i need to solve the puzzle and i need to do it efficiently and systematically that can uh be be challenging for them Along those same lines, dealing with contradictions. So if their concrete observations contradict their understanding of how the world works, they're going to have some problems with coming to a reconciliation of all of that. So kind of that cognitive dissonance is really hard uh, for them to kind of understand. And then again, they're still learning about other people's perspective taking, but they can struggle with more complex forms of that. So I think a really good example there is you're a kid, right? Like Jonah's a kid and Jonah knows that obviously your mom. So, oh my gosh, what's, what does he call your mom? Grandma. Grandma. (laughs) Duh. The most obvious one. A very, very complicated, complicated one. Okay. So while Jonah understands that his grandma has her own thoughts and feelings and she has her own orientation to the world, he may not be able to understand how different her childhood was from his, right? Like she didn't have an iPad when she was a kid. She didn't have a watch that could call her mom if she was in trouble. Like she, she did have all of these kinds of limitations with technology and all these other things going on. So again, they can understand somebody else's viewpoints, but they can't really put it into context and in more complex forms. So that's where things can kind of go a little bit sideways when it comes to perspective taking. That makes sense. Okay. So I found an article with some activities for kiddos who are in the concrete operational stage. And these are like things you can do with your kiddos to kind of help them work through some of these things. And of course, I'll put this, uh, 
article link in the show notes. So one really great activity you can do with your kiddo is helping them learn to measure objects with rulers, tape measures, comparing and contrasting size and length. I think about like when you were a kid, probably around this age, you were sewing a lot and it was a good way for you to kind of spatially connect, you know, your concrete operational thinking with, you know, creating something and understanding how it took up space, I guess. Another really good one, and we do this a lot here, playing games that require strategic thinking. Checkers or even Battleship is one that we play all the time. If your kid is able to play chess, that's great. (laughs) Melanie mentioned I love Settlers of Catan, and apparently there's a uh, kid's version of that that I want to look into as well. So kind of getting them to think about strategy and think that helps with that abstract reasoning and that deductive logic, a general principle to is something specific. So strategy games are good to develop that layer of thinking. Total side note, Mm -hmm. I heard that they're no longer calling it settlers of Catan. What? Because settlers has a negative connotation. Really? I don't know. Is that true? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen that or heard that. And I was just at the store today and I saw Settlers of Catan like in its box. Okay, well maybe it was a it was a joke thing. Oh wow. Settlers. You know how it's no longer called the master bedroom. They call it the primary mm-hmm, bedroom mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because master has a negative. Yeah. Interesting. They are just like okay, I just looked it up. On the box, it now just calls it Catan. Mm. Just just Catan. Wow. So, who knew? Man. Trade, build, settle. Hmm. Catan. Trade, build, settle. Strategically. <laughs> Strategically. And, and inoffensively. Correct. Unoffensively settling on Catan. But not a settler. But you're settling, but you're not a settler. You got to get that straight. But you're trading. But you're trading and you're building. Fairly. Fair trade. <laughs> That's important. Air trade always. All right. So that's a good one. Um, Another one is solving simple math problems. Again, just addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, and understanding, again, the reverse reversibility with all of those and being able to convert things and manipulate numbers to arrive back at the answer that you're looking for. And this is a fun one. I think Jonah does things like this a lot, just kind of conducting little experiments to, to test different hypotheses. So, so playing with magnets, testing the properties of water. I don't know if you've ever done the, um, what is it, cornstarch with water and putting it like, you know, playing with that and stuff, but just doing different kinds of experiments and making a guess of what will happen and then talking it through. Oh, let me tell you, we don't do it formally as we should, but he has all kinds of experiments going on in his bathroom <laughs> that involve, it, it's frightening. I, I I need an example. What do you mean? Um, like he'll find a containers and then he will mix like toothpaste and mouthwash and hand soap and then leave it for a period of time. Ah, And then he'll (laughs) mix a different set of things and then leave that for a period of time. And then 
I, I mean, it's messy. Oh, wow. It's really messy. You know, now that you say that, I think it was probably around this age that I started doing these similar kinds of experiments. And two that come to mind, and these are just comical. And if my parents listen to this, they're going to crack up. One time I put toothpaste in the pump hand soap dispenser to use. Ew. I mean, I, I rinsed it out really good. But the thought process there was sometimes it was hard for me to like squeeze the toothpaste out of my tube. And sometimes I would get too much. And I thought if I could just put it in the hand pump, I would pump it one time and I would get just the right amount. There was such a thought I process mean, that's behind it. Really right? smart. But it's really I smart. poured that toothpaste in there. I squeezed out the whole entire tube. Of course, it was ruined. My mom was was upset. And you couldn't, it wouldn't pump out through the straw, right? It no, was because it was way too thick. No, because the makeup <laughs> yeah. of toothpaste is not, not made for that. Yeah. No. So, so that one no. uh, was not fun. And then the other one, and this one actually was kind of brilliant. So I used to read those Goosebumps books. I loved the Goosebumps books. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what would make this better is being able to read it in the dark. And this was at the time, again, ages 7 to 11. My my poor mother had been foolish enough to actually purchase nail polish for me, thinking that I would be able to use this responsibly. I had glow-in-the-dark nail polish, and I thought, if I put my nail polish on the pages of this book, it'll be glow-in-the-dark and I can read my book in the dark if the pages... That's a terrible idea so i multiple lathered the book with the glow in the dark nail polish and everything was going fine until i realized how quickly the nail polish like died and faded and then you'd have to like turn the light on and like hold the book right up against the light like charge it charge it and then you turn off light and you read really 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 fast That is really funny. Yeah. It definitely would have been in this era that my friend Wendy and I had way back in the woods behind her house, her parents' house, where we were making like mud pies and mm-hmm. like like it was always a like we would argue over the ratio of water to mud. You had to have the right like, consistency. Yeah. You had like a whole kitchen back there, that- I bet. We did no. We legitimately had a whole kitchen by like the pet cemetery. They always had a lot of cats. It was creepy. Really morbid looking back on it, but the the outdoor kitchen was right next to the pet cemetery, and you know we always argued. I mean, Wendy and I still argue. I think she listens. (laughs) She'll appreciate that. But Wendy and I still still are always like, well, no, this would be better. Oh my gosh! But about mud to water ratios so we were definitely in this phase <laughs> you were just trying to reversibility <laughs> find the right ratio oh my gosh i love it yes the experiments the experiments are happening it's great okay drawing creating diagrams to represent information like a map that's a fun thing to do, you know, yeah, make a map fun. or a chart that's kind of using some of that abstract thought there. Building Legos and structures with blocks, things like that, different designs, learning a new language, practicing a foreign language. And it amazes me like how kids that are, you know, Fisher's age can speak better Spanish than I was ever able to just because they're exposed to it. It's amazing. Anyone bilingual blows my mind. And I have tried, but wow. Yeah. 
Respect. That's that's incredible. Okay, here's one that you like. Reading or discussing stories with moral or ethical dilemmas. Ooh. Yeah. That's no, one. that's a good one. Jonah's always been really good about that ethics kind of stuff. Really? He, like, he totally gets it. And he's really, it's weird because it doesn't come out in him if you're just, like, interacting with him. I mean, he's kind of just a kid that's, like, sort of dismissive about, like, Meh. he kind of has this, like, teen sort of he attitude really is about like a, a lot teenager. of things. Yeah. <laughs> but if you really sit down and talk to him about things, he's like, oh, no, I definitely wouldn't want to do that because that would hurt so and so's feelings oh, cool. because blah, blah, blah. Oh, wow. So it always kind of blows my mind because I, I don't know. I guess I don't get into that close of conversations with many children around his age, but he definitely seems to have a grasp on that. That's awesome. That's really good. Those and the moral ethical dilemmas like those get really, you know, they get really hairy. Okay. So along those same lines, reading, discussing stories with moral ethical dilemmas, you can also engage in role playing activities or simulations to explore social situations and relationships. And that's, you know, a very common practice in obviously like therapy, child psychology and things like that. Let's let's role play some of these things out together and practice these, you know, these good behaviors that you want to be able to master. So that can be good. It definitely has its place. But I think just asking those questions and talking about those relationships is really what's important because a lot of times you can discover or uncover, you know, those moral dilemmas, those ethical things going on just by talking about it and asking those questions. Awesome. Yeah. So just as kind of my disclaimer that I put it at the end of each of these episodes, everything's a watercolor. You know, if your kid isn't meeting some of these markers, if they're not there, that's a good conversation to have with your teacher, with your child's pediatrician, with your child's pediatric dentist. Make sure you're just checking in and kind of letting everybody know what's going on. And if there are any concerns that you have, again, there's so many resources out there to help. So you can can, of course, reach out to us, pediatric dentist or regular adult dentist. We support you either way. <laughs> Every single awesome. dentist out there, you have our support. Awesome. Thank you. What a fun episode. And I'm not just saying that because I'm drinking an old fashioned over here. What is our medical mystery, Melanie, tonight? Well, turns out our medical mystery even has a pronunciation that was a mystery to me, and I actually had to look it up. Thank you for your help with that. Anytime. Uh, it is called Adrenarchy. Adrenarchy! It's, it's, have you ever heard of it before you helped me figure out how to say it? Have you heard of it? No, I don't know what it is. It sounds like Rocky and Talladega Nights. That's all I know at this point. I mean, it's very anarchy to me, <laughs> adrenarchy. But according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, adrenarchy is an increase in the production of certain hormones, which are called androgens mm. mainly one called dhea from the adrenal gland that occurs before puberty oh now, okay i put this in here as a very important reminder the adrenal gland yeah 
We have talked about the adrenal gland several times, but I just wanted to remind us all what the adrenal gland is. Please do, because I forgot. The adrenal gland is an endocrine gland. We have two of them. There's one on top of each of our kidneys. Hmm. They produce many important hormones, including cortisol, aldosterone, and adrenaline. The adrenal hormones help regulate several bodily functions, including metabolism, blood pressure, and our body's response to stress. So there's there's lots of roles there. Now, adrenarche. This begins, on average, in girls between the ages of five and eight, and in boys between the ages of seven and 11. Okay. And in most children, it precedes puberty by about two years. Hmm. So, hmm. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. So, so we're kind of smack dab in the middle of that old uh, concrete operational stage there, would you say? For sure we are. We're, we're right there in that stage. Hmm. So when I was doing research on this, I found a lot of different articles that were about premature adrenarche and different specific types. Yeah. And I was really just trying to get to like the meat and potatoes of like what the phase is. Like what, what is it? Consists it? Yeah. Of. Right. So I felt like it was important to include this part because a lot of times when you get into details on it, it sounds a lot like puberty, but there are differences. So here is me telling you the difference. It will be helpful to think of puberty and adrenarche as separate processes that your child's body goes through. Sometimes they overlap, but not always. Adrenarche means the awakening of the adrenal gland. And as I mentioned, the adrenal gland is responsible for making hormones, including androgens, sex hormones, which cause changes, including the development of pubic hair, oily skin, all of that kind of stuff. So adrenarche is the awakening of the adrenal gland. Wow. Whereas puberty is the name given to the stage of life in which the body becomes capable of of sexual reproduction. So puberty is more the physical changes mm-hmm. and adrenarche is more the the hormonal like behind like, the scenes precipit- right. kind of like this is the underlying cause of all of this stuff going on. Right. Now, you know me Miranda, I love to research and I tried to get super detailed on this. Mm-hmm. I ended up in a wormhole of science speak that is way over my head. So I actually put this in my notes because I felt like it was important for y'all to understand. If you go to research this, stay surface (laughs) because (laughs) this one article said, these changes are related to the development of the zona reticularis and its unique gene enzyme expression pattern of low hydroxysteroid deoxygenase type 2 with high... Cro- Whew, oh, yeah. I'll stop at that. Hydroxygenase. It's, yeah, whoa. There are <laughs> scientists out there that understand the process. <laughs> we don't need to be those scientists. No. No. Wow. So as I mentioned... It is a separate developmental stage from puberty, and it typically takes place about two years before puberty itself. 
Okay. So that's important to know. I mean, if you know that your child is going through this, then you're going to have kind of an idea of when puberty might be coming Mm because it does tend to be about two years before. Before, gotcha. Yeah. Now, there is a lot of study, and as, you know, I said all of these details, there are people who, scientists, who understand the scientific part of it, but they are recently just researching it more. This hasn't been a phase that anybody has really understood. And here is a quote from a gentleman. All of my sources are linked. His name is Patton. We are now becoming interested in adrenarche as an important phase of development in which children set in place some of the emotional and metabolic functions for adolescence. Oh. It is during these years that a child really begins to develop that concept of himself or herself Mm. that they carry forward into adolescence and adulthood. So it's really important. It's like the establishment of Of self. Yeah. But driven by these hormonal changes. Wow. And wow. How did we not know about it? Well, okay. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go. No, go ahead. Tell me what your old fashioned thought. <laughs> well, my thought there was that the adrenal glands, you know, I usually just think about adrenaline, but everything you're talking about with your stress hormone, cortisol, your metabolism, all of these things, stress even in and of itself is one of those things that if you really get down to brass tacks, comes down to your own recognition of yourself, right? Without your own recognition of yourself, you're not aware that you need to keep yourself out of danger. And so this is really that onset of, it's it's almost like your body's trying to take some level of personal responsibility because you now understand you are a person, if that makes sense. So 100%. all of these factors with fight or flight, you know, it makes me think about about that, you know, because I mean, when you're a baby, your mom's going to scoop you up. You don't know that there's any danger. But now you're at a point where there could be something happening and you have to respond, I guess. Right. And how crazy is it that this occurs between the ages of five and 11? Yeah. So like you're already setting these things into place as far as your concept of yourself going forward into adolescence and adulthood, Mm -hmm. and you are a five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 year old kid. And that's huge and really overwhelming to think about. Yeah. So as far as signs of adrenarche, while the changes that occur during puberty can be seen on the outside, like we talked about, it's more the physical changes, like, and we all know that we all lived that, (laughs) like girls get their period, you get boobs, boys get feelings and hair and all of these things. Mm -hmm. While those changes can be seen on the outside, adrenarche is mainly a period of psychological and emotional development. Mm. So these adrenal hormones are coursing through your child's body, and they may have a really significant impact on how they feel. It's, like I said, less likely to cause the physical symptoms like armpit hair, pubic hair, Mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's not to say it doesn't ever happen. For some kids, it kind of overlaps and that almost seems sort of mean in a way. But yeah. so what are the symptoms? And this is crazy. I read several articles on this. Crying, screaming, 
throwing stuff like full-fledged toddler behavior huh. out of your like seven to nine-year-old oh, super moody wow. like they're all of a sudden like you know you have this kid and you you know this kid and then they get to like seven eight nine and all of a sudden they're not getting along with any of their friends they're super moody they're crying for no reason just like their little messes yeah all of a sudden. yeah wow Th that's the main symptom. you know i just have to say and i don't know if any of our listeners are feeling this in this exact moment too but that feels so validating you know what i mean i feel so seen right now because fisher's six so he may have some of this stuff going on but remember the meltdown i told you about in walmart that we had a while back yeah like it yeah. was toddler behavior coming out of this kid who's like nearly seven years old it's like pull yourself together man uh wow Hmm, that's interesting. It's yeah, hormones. So a, <laughs> a lot of the articles that I read, and, and uh, these will all be in our notes, including the one that brought this to my attention, was which was actually a scary mommy article. Yeah, yeah. You said because I had never heard, <laughs> I had never heard of it before. But I have that in our sources. But these moms are talking about, you know, they had this normal, well-regulated yeah. kindergartner, cool. this normal, well-regulated first grader. Mm -hmm. They get to second grade, and they are standing there like, "What mm. the hell is going on? What just like, happened?" Who is this Wow. This isn't how you act. The weirdest part about it is that in most cases, it ends just as quickly as it started. Really? So it's like these kids are so resilient and they they adjust. Really? And then it's they're back to, you know, they they've got it. Huh. it which is crazy. And maybe that's why it happens at that age, because they're so capable of like dealing with change. Yeah. And just moving right um, along. Right. Right. And and it is often accompanied or very soon followed by a growth spurt. Oh, which, that's good to know. Yeah. And and I don't know that how scientific that is, but that was in a lot of things that I read that were almost like blog posts by moms. Yeah. Because and that makes sense. You oh, know, yeah. you're growing. Things are expanding. Some kids did experience some physical symptoms in this era and largely that would be body odor oh isn't that funny is foot odor affiliated with that because my no. son has <laughs> no that's a that's a whole feet. separate i think we need to go see like a pediatric podiatrist over here because his feet will stink up the whole entire room they will knock you down i don't understand it Okay, but <laughs> off the stinky feet subject, I did have a question. How long does, once uh, Adrenarchy starts, how long does it typically last? Is it a period of years or... Oh, no, they're saying it's like kind of like flares and it's like as far as the parts that we notice, uh -huh. like I'm sure as as the internal body process and the hormonal changes and all of that, that probably is a more extended period. But like the outward part mm -hmm. that us as parents notice mm -hmm. is apparently pretty brief. And does it just happen it, one time or does it, is it well, happen over and over again? As with everything every kid is different but hmm. it is often it leaves just as quickly as it came and so you might have a moody kid for a couple months you might have a moody kid for a year 
but there are some things going on that are likely leading to that. Under the hood, <laughs> as they right. say. Huh. So the question is, as parents, how do we deal with this? Because at this point, we've been parents for long enough. We're done with that toddler shit. Mm-hmm. We don't want to deal with that moody little tyrant that we hauled around for years. We're not really, and now he's, they're bigger and, you know, they're throwing bigger things and it's, it feels embarrassing. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, so how do we deal with that? The biggest thing is communication. Communication is key to dealing with adrenarchy. Adrenarchy. It's a weird word. <laughs> Talk to your child about how they're feeling, but do this talking when you're both calm. So this should not be in the meltdown throwing fit phase. <laughs> yeah. That is not the time to talk. Good advice. Make, Good sure, make sure that you are consistent, firm, and fair. So don't just let this be a, oh, well, you're in this phase. We're going to let everything fly. You still need to be consistent, firm, and fair. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, some of these are going to be like full-fledged meltdowns with these second graders, which is rough. Second and third grade kids that are just having a meltdown. They did mention in several of the articles that I read that you should talk with them about taking deep breaths if they're feeling annoyed, like different Mm -hmm. coping tactics to try to help them not boil over. But the important thing for us as parents is to not let us Mm -hmm. as parents blame everything on hormones and just let our kid act like be like a, a shit. total jerk yeah yeah correct like don't use this as like a crutch or an explanation right. like they still have things that they need to do <laughs> you're at the parent teacher well, conference like yo miss williams it's it, just adrenarchy okay lighten up yo he's, he's having some yo. adrenarchy situations going on So I thought that this was really interesting. This was not anything that I had ever heard about before until I read that scary mommy article. And then I was like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like I said, it seems like it's fairly new. You know, I think it's something scientifically that they've just realized, which is why there are a lot of really great peer reviewed, super scientific articles out there. If you're a person who's into that, I was more looking for how do we handle this? (laughs) What do we do? (laughs) What are we supposed to do? I don't understand what we're supposed to do who knew puberty has a predecessor and it's called adrenarchy i like that the predecessor of puberty adrenarchy 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 (laughs) who knew i'm still blown away i'm gonna do some more research on my own because this is a very good topic But in the meantime, before I get out my cell phone and go into all the wormholes, do you have a spotlight for us tonight? I do. And I'm actually really excited about this spotlight. Ah. I had no idea where to go. And I, you know, I always try to make them correlate with the episode. And I, Adrenarchy does not have a foundation (laughs) that I could find. Foundation. (laughs) Nor does Piaget. (laughs) So, um, 
I came across this and then the more I researched it, the more I was like, wow, this is amazing. It is like the most amazing circumstance of somebody being given lemons and turning them into lemonade of anything that I have ever seen. Okay, now I'm really excited. What in the world have you got? Okay, the spotlight is called Alex's Lemonade Stand foundation for childhood cancer i've heard of that i've heard of that have you heard of it i've actually contributed to them before but i don't know the background of the organization or anything i've just seen it okay well there was this young girl named alex who was diagnosed with cancer at a very young age i want to say she was almost like a baby Mm. and so she was dealing with treatment for almost her entire life but when she was i think it was for their website which i will give you in a minute we'll tell you a whole lot more about it but when she was four so she wanted to raise money for her hospital because she was spending a lot of time at the hospital. So she had some older brothers and they put together a lemonade stand. It was Alex's lemonade stand. Do you know where geographically, like where was it at? Oh, I don't, I don't remember, but Alex unfortunately passed away at the age of eight, but since her passing, the family has continued on her mission. So Alex's Lemonade Stand, their mission is to change the lives of children with cancer through funding impactful research, raising awareness, supporting families, and empowering everyone to help cure childhood cancer. Since 2005... Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation has helped researchers, scientists, and doctors get closer to a cure than ever before. They have raised more than $250 million and funded over 1,000 research grants. Wow. Wow. Which I thought was amazing. That gives me chills. I have chills right now. I have chills. (laughs) That is so cool. Their website is super cool. So like they actually, there's a book, like a, like a kid's book that people can share with their children that talk about Alex's lemonade stand. And then you can also like you can register your lemonade stand, yeah. and I think they'll even send you like a starter kit with like a, no way like signs oh, and things goodness. that you can use. Oh, that's so! Their website has so many resources and whatnot on it. And like I said, you know, obviously these parents lost a child. But look what they've done! Man. Like that's like the fact mm. that it's a lemonade stand is so miraculous to me you know like they really did turn it into something so i encourage you all to check it out the website is alex a-l-e-x with an s so alex's a-l-e-x s lemonade.org and that's spelled out. So alexslemonade.org. And it's a super cool website. There's a lot of um, information on there for the family members and um, whatnot of children who have cancer. There's all kinds of resources on there. But I was excited when I found that. So little Alex, she might have passed away at the age of eight, but look at all of this money that has gone into research. That's amazing. That is so cool. And I am like my whole body is covered in goosebumps. That is such a good one. Thank you for sharing so much. 
If you like what you hear from us, be sure to follow our show. And if you really like us, you can leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We want to be friends with you. Connect with us on social media by following at Mother Mayhem Podcast or email us directly at mothermayhempodcast at gmail.com.